This episode is brought to you by Avalanche and Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later in the show. Enjoy. I think it was Wells Fargo has 20,000 employees. Coinbase has 2,000 employees. And Uniswap has 20 employees. I think there's a lot of people participating in this because it's a like a cultural shift. Alrighty, folks. Uh, really, uh, really excited for this episode. We got Jack Butcher. Um, Jack, I reached out to Sam Parr, who I know you're close with before this episode. I said, uh, give me, I said, I'm bringing Jack on the show. Give me some tidbits. He goes, oh my God, Jack Butcher. He goes, hands down, one of the most interesting guys I've ever met. So no, no pressure here. Um, anyways, man, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. Like I want to get your take on creator economy. I want to get your take on uh, NFTs, uh, and we'll kind of focus the conversation around pretty much creator con- economy and NFTs as well. Uh, but honestly, we're, I mean, I've, I've got your, your hoodie on for anyone watching on YouTube. Um, and you've got your course, uh, and you've got your NFTs and like, um, it, you know, you've got the hats and, you know, a million and one things. And so I just wanted to ask you, like, how many different ways are you monetizing your personal brand right now? Started as a like design consulting business, Visualize Value did, and got to a point where it made more sense to think about product just because we couldn't cap, couldn't serve the demand that was created off the back of the content. So the the courses were the first, and that's obviously all digital product. So that was the the first um, decentralization of income, if you will. And then uh, after that, <clears throat> played with. A community for a little while which we now made a free component of the education material so was a subscription um i toyed with subscription content for a little while earlier this year it's a good experiment but it's uh yeah similar to like a, a hustle trends you mentioned sampa like a community where you can um you know you produce content consistently and that just didn't really fit the model so that was an experiment we ran and got rid of NFTs and then physical merchandise is something that we've been playing with just this year um, and books. So books, uh, like putting all the prints into books and uh, like making an annual edition. Uh, we did a manual, like manual fulfillment of that the first time around, which was absolute chaos. But this, we're just w- working with a partner now to like self-publish something and have the distribution partner. So that would be probably the, f- yeah the fourth wave so it almost feels like creators are um uh basically creating more liquid markets around themselves right it it feels like with the web 3 everything gets financialized and so you Mm -hmm. look at like a web 2 creator and the way that they monetize is primarily let's let's say ads uh like ads uh courses and maybe merch right ads courses and merch there's good upside there but it's not like a liquid market. Like it's like a sell once type of thing. Yep, yep, in yep. Web3, if you look at the way that creators are monetizing, uh, NFTs, right? Once you launch your NFT, that's a liquid market. Uh, social tokens. Once you launch your so- social token, that's a liquid market. Uh, a lot of creators like yourself and uh, like Packy and Sahil Bloom and all these people, they're now investing as well. They're become, becoming angel investors. So again, financialized upside. Great risk big downside is that is that like kind of where you see creators going it's everything kind of almost becomes this liquid market for creators that you can uh fans can invest in there's upside there's great upside but there's also great downside 
Yeah, I think so. I think that's that feels like the progression or the trend is like just the reduction of friction, or the, the, the shortening of the feedback loop to like, um, and I think we saw it even in the Web2 stuff and Twitter and the moment in time that COVID sort of took over the world. I think there was, you know, this bubble that I have been inside of and, you know, try to step outside of occasionally. There was just this massive, um, like exponential shift to online socializing and learning, obviously, a couple of years ago. And that resulted in, um, you know, people figuring out how to build these massive networks completely remotely. Um, and I think the most elegant executions in Web3 are people that have, you know, built something prior to and figured out a way to figure out a way to to kind of bring this technology to their audience or like enhance the relationship they already had with their audience with these new tools um yeah web three is just kind of the like the financial layer that just sort of slides into that equation so basically if you look at like alpha in the market um like in in, in the stock market right like you go back and it's kind of like these 50 year old white dudes who work on wall street had all the alpha and then uh that starts to open up right and then you get crypto right and crypto gives retail investors alpha for the first time like if you look at who made the returns it's not the wall street folks it's the retail crowd but eventually that will get eventually crypto gets institutionalized um and some of the alpha gets sucked out of the industry uh which will i mean the space will be much bigger will 10x will 100x but the some of the alpha gets sucked out but if you actually think about social tokens, they could be really interesting because there's just no way for a, a, I don't know, a 50 or a 60 year old investor to have the cultural alpha. Uh, and so like I think about, uh, like I spend a lot of time on Twitter, right? So I see people pretty early and I feel like I have a good knack of who's going to blow up. I like uh, Sahil Bloom is on my mind because I had dinner with him last night. But I remember when he had 7,000 followers I texted his account to my co-founder and I was like, this guy's going to be big. Watch, watch this account. Last night I looked at his account. He has 700,000. So he's, Crazy, he's 100 X. Right. right. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. it would have been amazing if I could have invested in that um, and taken a bet on him or people who find songs really early or people who find Instagram pages early or TikTokers early. There's gotta, there's gotta be a way to take a bet on that because mm-hmm. that's the last bit of alpha remaining that, wall street can't extract until we figure out another another uh, until we figure out another in a few, <laughs> few more years but yeah i agree i agree yeah. would you ever consider monetizing like an hour of your week create a token the, the jb token and basically what that you have done that yeah so i sold uh like auctioned auctioned nfts for uh you know a three hour window just kind of the cool thing about that as well, I think, is like price to three hour one time or three hour like per week or what? No, so no, no, wait, wait, back th- it up. So tell, tell us about the structure. What happened here? A one three hour slot. So I did uh, four auctions on foundation that were um, I called it work day, split the day up into four parts, three hours each. And then, you know, whoever wins the auction, we do a three hour session, whatever you like, whatever you want to work on. So the um, Three of them were 
commissioned art pieces and then one was a like more of a consulting design exercise um and the interesting thing is i started at minimum reserve on foundation and it kind of the this is another i think interesting thing about so i always like bounce between would would this have been possible on web 2 and maybe it would have but the it's kind of it also depends upon the like the shift in culture on the other side of the transaction too right like the normalization of like auctioning off creative work is something i think that web3 has advanced pretty significantly in a short period of time so people bid on them and uh, the other interesting thing i think is you know a creator's time is a really scarce resource obviously the scarcest resource and creative people are notoriously awful at pricing their time and um this is just a really interesting way to get price discovery on your time and who knows if it's inflated because you're early in the there's you know there's a lot of hype around the format or the way in which you're doing it but it's a really interesting exercise and uh the the relationship even is different because you're not going through the same process you would typically to hire someone, right? It's not like, hey, let's go back and forth on emails and like negotiate X, Y, and Z. The people who are bidding on that really want to work with you. And the the experiences that I had with those people were like exponentially better than client work I've done in the past because of the way in which that got teed up. Wait, so what So what happened with this? So you put it out at minimum price. I'm assuming the thing gets bid up. What did you end up selling three hours of your time for? So three, I think they went like an average of like 1.1 Ethereum or something. So back when, you know, it's like a thousand bucks an hour back then, which I would never be able to charge as a designer on the, uh, like in the traditional market, right? And And does that person keep that NFT? Yeah, they keep the NFT, but you know what I think is uh, smart. But there's no people... utility to the NFT. It, it, it was a ut- NFT with utility, and now the utility's gone, right? Oh, I minted, in the case of two of them, I minted an art piece after and transferred that to them. I think uh, my first million actually did a smart um, execution of an NFT. Did you see that? They auctioned off some like ad space. I did, Sean and Sam. Yeah. Did they keep? Did they run with that? Did they ex- execute that all the way through? I don't know, but this was the the cool part of that that I that um that they kind of built on the concept is you have to burn the NFT to redeem the slot, so it can trade on the secondary market for a period of time, and then you know if you want to use it, you have to burn the NFT, which is you know a smart way to close the close the whole loop out. What is your framework and like for looking at where we're at with NFTs right now? why they're so valuable, where we go from here. Like, how, how are you thinking about, what, what's the date today? November 23rd. How are you thinking about NFTs? And just like, what's your framework for the, viewing them right now? I think from, I think there's like waves of, almost like like tranches of people that use and understand NFTs in different ways. It feels like pre-2021, was like hyper crypto native, like, you know, you're already probably been in crypto five plus years if you knew what an NFT was in 2020 or you you knew somebody who was deep down the crypto rabbit hole. And I think some of that work that's produced 
that was produced then, like the CryptoPunks of the world, the X copies, like this, uh, this is like historic artifacts in the NFT, like in the journey of NFTs come, becoming a thing. These things just always have relevance for that reason. Then the second wave is like the opportunist is maybe like a, not the best word, but there's, there was this massive influx of, um, projects maybe march april may of this year which is kind of it feels to me like there's a there's a couple of months go by and a lot of people go to ground when they they see an idea they start building and then you have you know the collective consciousness just produces like 500 of the same thing and some of them resonate and become these like cultural artifacts like a um board ape yacht club and some of the creators in early 2021 were were basically inventing the like the formats or the mechanisms for NFTs. So you like even creators that would do things like you know like a mint pass or a whitelist or there are these just it, it's very similar to the Web two creator economy in that someone will like sort of pioneer a, uh, a tactic or a format and then you just see that pr proliferate throughout. And now I think we're getting to the like very first wave of like big brand adoption because it's going to take nine months, 12 months to have conversations to even get them to try like a little mini experiment. The like question mark in my head is like, when does the term NFT go away? Because I think the like, there is a pop culture, um, a lot of people think NFTs are, uh, you know, the worst thing ever to be conceived by mankind. So I think there's like a, a cultural shift that we're, you know, still on the other side of where you almost lose the, the acronym that goes with this thing in the same way you don't say like, oh, I'm TCP IP, I'm going to go and chat with Jason on a, a, you know, voiceover IP call. I think we're... We're still a way off because there's still like like rampant speculation about around the idea that like if something is an NFT, it is inherently valuable because it's so because we're so early and this is like um, these are the like the genesis executions in this space. And I think that's more true than like a dot com the dot com bubble comparison because they are like legit artifacts that you can own not you know in the same way that like those companies 10 sorry 20 odd years ago went to zero i think there's a lot of people participating in this because it's a like a cultural shift and uh i don't see the same i don't know i don't see the same amount of like drop off or fallout one thing that nfts like expose me to honestly is like the scale of the internet in a whole new in a whole new dimension like running an online business and building up a decent size network of people across social networks will give you one like order of magnitude understanding of how like software leverage can like take your business to another level but then if you look at some of these nft drops you're just like what is going on like the ten thousand things ten thousand assets that you sell out in 10 minutes 15 minutes and i think that gets to the like the finance the potential financial upside 
or the the slight shift in in thinking that this object is going to be worth more tomorrow than it was today creates an entirely different behavior but i think we're you know we need to move past every nft having the expectation of a financial return for it to become like a thing everywhere because as everybody knows like 95 percent of ideas don't work over the long term so uh I think we're, yeah, we're, we're just on the like almost gold rush phase of like run a thousand experiments. And then we're going to start to see like the, the concepts and the mechanics that stick around have been proven. Empire is proud to be supported by Avalanche. There is a layer one war heating up in crypto and Avalanche is at the center of it. Avalanche is one of the fastest smart contract platforms in the industry. I've been looking into the ecosystem recently and I'm honestly amazed by how fast it's growing. Here are three reasons why I'm so intrigued by Avalanche. Number one, Curve and Aave, two of the biggest DeFi protocols are in testing right now for Avalanche integrations. Number two, new projects. These are not just NFT clones. AMM knockoffs and lending protocols. These are new projects, NFT projects, play to earn games, really, really interesting stuff happening in the Avalanche ecosystem. And number three, Binance just re-enabled C-Chain integration. What in the world does this mean? This means that you, the user, can directly withdraw to your MetaMask, which previously was a pretty big user bottleneck. Thank you, Avalanche for sponsoring Empire. We are going to continue to explore Avalanche in future episodes. Hope you enjoy it. I would recommend that you do the same. Empire is proud to be supported by Paraswap. Paraswap is one of the leading DEX aggregators in crypto. Let's say you're booking a flight. You would never go directly to an airline, right? You'd never go directly to United or Delta. You'd obviously go to Google Flights or Expedia or Kayak or Booking.com. That's what Paraswap does for DeFi. Paraswap, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see the platform. Paraswap makes swapping easier, it makes it faster, it makes it cheaper by aggregating more than 80 different DEXs. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, Uniswap, Sushi, Balancer, uh, Bancor into one single interface. You can use Paraswap on ETH, Polygon, as you can see here, BSC, they recently launched Avalanche a few weeks ago, pretty exciting. If you are a trader listening to this, you are losing money by not using Paraswap. And excitingly enough, if you're a company or a platform looking to access the swapping or the yield capabilities of DEXs, you can now use Paraswap's APIs to integrate into your platform to get the full power of the DEX aggregator into your platform. So head on over to paraswap.io. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see how simple it is to use. Just plug in, let's say I wanna swap you know, 0.2 ETH, for USDT, you can see how simple it is. Just plug that in right there and it aggregates over 80 different DEXs. So head on over to Paraswap, P-A-R-A-S-W-A-P dot I-O to use the platform today. All right, let's get back to the show. One area where that becomes really interesting is like in like the traditional art market, You, it's all about your first drop. It's about like, you wanna make sure that like when you send out art, art out into the world it's valuable right when you mm -hmm. send it out into the world mm -hmm. uh because that like the price of the art kind of dictates how good it is right and so uh traditionally to make it as an artist you've always kind of needed to convince a gatekeeper with a gallery to hype up the primary sale and then once you made it on the once the primary hit 
you know, it was kind of considered to be successful art, but NFTs kind of flipped that on its head where, uh, and now artists can basically just instead give away your work, right? You can just give away your work. You can, you can put it up for 0.0003 ETH, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. For 20 bucks or something. Uh, and then you can start to earn a living from the secondary sales as your, as your work appreciates in value and the work starts to appreciate more in value. The more people who see it, the more people who, uh, the more that the, the kind of the meme, the message proliferates throughout the internet. Uh, so it's not really about the primary anymore. There's no gatekeeper and it's not about the primary, which means that more artists create more work. Yeah. But it starts to like change the creative output and you're right. You don't, I'm, I actually felt like maybe I made a mistake with some of the ways I released work over time. And it's not like, it's really not in my nature to be like incredibly strategic about like, okay, we're going to do this thing and then go silent for three months and be really mysterious and then do this other thing. I'm like a iterator and I need to get stuff out and done. And there's probably an argument to be made that if you went the route of like, you know, work with a agent from the traditional art world, you might've even been able to, have a more lucrative um, a lucrative relationship with the art market, but it's also just, I, I just find it less fun or less consistent with how I like to operate. And I think that's the cool thing about this is if you're like a volume person, there's a few NFT like participants that, you know, like these profile picture projects, 10,000 10, pieces of work is like a lifetime of work if you're producing pieces by hand, but the combination of the computer as a tool to make work and like these liquid markets that can just pull attention massive, like in, in just a ridiculously efficient way is gonna change the types of work that gets made to your point. Yeah. Um... We're going to do something new, actually, on Empire uh, that a lot of folks have uh, suggested, which is uh, we're going to take some questions from the audience. And by that, I mean, we're just going to look at some of the tweets uh, that people uh, responded to. Um, Adam Fatchler, head of content strategy at blockchain.com. How should brands be thinking about NFTs? You know, did you see that Adidas drop yesterday? Yeah. The decentralized. That's the most most British. That's the most British way of saying Adidas I've ever oh, heard. Adidas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, so I think there's like, man, I worked in... So tell us about that. I don't know how much you paid attention to the drop, but if you're able to share about it. I saw, um, I saw them tweet out, and I think Sandbox tweeted out, that they bought a plot of land in the Sandbox. I don't know how much they divulged about what the project is going to be, but... I think what's interesting about or or the distinction that I was trying to draw attention to there is there is brands can execute in a like crypto culture native way, which I think Adidas were able to do with that, like uh, with that. It's, it's, it's a bold strategy to like go into the world of, crypto right make these build these relationships with existing crypto brands versus you know the traditional way a brand would execute a campaign is like we want to build our own infrastructure we want this to be hosted on our own website we need to have creative control of everything i think that's that mentality does not mesh well with the world of 
NFT and NFTs and crypto. And then there's the like, hey, we want to get you involved. And, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without the people that make this relevant. I think perhaps Adidas understands that based on um, based on executing this way. It's like you want maybe you want you, know, you want to place yourself in a network that has the le the fewest barriers to like taking advantage of existing network effects. I think people will build NFT projects that have zero, like a Martha Stewart or something. I didn't even look at what that drop was, but I bet you it's just a landing page. It's like, hey, mint a Martha Stewart NFT or like uh, there's a right. few rappers I've seen that have done these things. It's just like, there's no, there's no attempt to like join the culture. It's like just an extractive like, hey, we see this thing is trendy and you know a marketing manager somewhere has just been told, do an NFT thing. We just saw that, you know, person or brand X has made money doing NFTs. So I think the the idea of giving up some control is the first like mental hurdle that brands have to get over versus like, hey, we're going to try and, you know, we're going to try and just coast off the momentum of this trend independently of all of the infrastructure that already exists. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to just understand what type of company you are too, right? Like if you're a fashion brand, just understanding that pretty soon we're going to have a digital closet and a physical closet and you won't just have a physical closet. And so, you know, I think I, I had this uh, thread maybe two weeks ago or something. I think what will end up happening is uh, like, just let's take fashion uh, specifically and like uh, clothing and stuff like that. I think at, you will eventually, instead of going onto a, a website and creating an account with a username and password, you'll just basically log into the website with your MetaMask or some mm -hmm. other Web3 mm -hmm. type browser, uh, which fixes the first problem of the internet, which is there's all these username and, account and passwords sitting in private databases. And then the next thing that you could see happening is, uh, let's say I buy a new pair of Nikes, right? What happens is I get the physical Nikes, but I also get an airdrop of Nike drops the uh, NFT of those Nikes mm -hmm. into my wallet. Uh, and then that NFT can be used to enter different communities. Uh, maybe I get a, uh, maybe I get a royalty on their earnings. Maybe I get uh, access to special events for NFT holders, but also really importantly, uh, my metaverse character, my, my Yano in the sandbox or in Decentraland gets to wear these NFTs now. Uh, and I think Nikes are dope, right? So I want my character in the digital world where there's way more people seeing me in the digital mm -hmm. world than in mm -hmm. the physical world, I want to wear those Nikes. So I think that brands who lean in will do a really good job. But I also think it's important to recognize that at a certain point, a web two company is a web two company. And right. it's not like the web, most of the web one companies didn't win because the web two folks just ate their lunch. And so I think it's like, okay, what can, what can Supreme, like, let's say the, the fashion brand Supreme, right? It's like, what can Supreme do to become a web three company? There's probably a lot, but at the end of the day, I would put money down that like a board apes, board apes are probably just the new Supreme, right? Yeah. It's, I think it ha you're right. It has a lot to do with like the culture internally. And I think a lot of brands will tr attempt to solve this by either ha like hiring consultants on the outside or having like one person in the business versus like you say you're competing with maybe a much smaller team but they're completely native to this medium and I think I read a like this may be an unfair comparison but I read a tweet 
a year ago now probably said, I think it was Wells Fargo has 20,000 employees. Coinbase has 2,000 employees and Uniswap has 20 employees. And I think you can make that same comparison to, you know, a fashion brand like, you know, Artifact is probably, you know, a much more capital and like culturally efficient fashion brand than, you know, pick what pick one in the real world. There's, uh, I think any, uh, right. any would struggle to compare just based on like output per person. And some brands just have enough like cultural clout to overcome that. I think like Nike's a good example, uh, but others just don't. Can you give us a sneak peek into some of the things you're thinking about for next year? Like any, any big plans that you have? We're in the process of building some native NFT contracts for visualized value. So we've been using marketplaces and tools that have um, obviously been built to support artists, but trying to get like dig deeper into what's possible on, you know, if you have control of the contract and um, what can you actually do from an art perspective in NFTs that you can't, um, that you can't with a piece of art that isn't an NFT. And I yep. think doing an, doing an exhibit or a collection of sorts that, you know, the idea behind visualized value as a entity is like trying to help people understand complicated things in a simpler way. I think there's a, there's a few big ideas around how you can create an NFT collection that, that educates people on what NFTs are um, in by sort of unpacking all the different qualities and all the different things that the technology makes possible. So that's something that's just been cooking up for a long time. And um, I'm also working on a, a product called Decrypt, which is basically a like first principles of crypto um, and internet culture, which I think is, you know, maybe something that would be distributed around something like a, a brand that's trying to figure out whether they're a, a web, whether mm -hmm. they can, you know, execute in web three or if it makes, if it even makes sense. So essentially just trying to, take what I'm learning in real time, as I described at the beginning of the podcast and turn it into content that other people can leverage to build stuff. Love that. That's great, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I have, I have one last question, then we can wrap this up, which is, uh, let's say the market does turn. Let's say we do go into a bad bear market, mm -hmm. right? Price of Bitcoin falls 50%, ETH falls 60%, some of these NFTs probably fall 70-80%. Do you think that we emerge, do you think that things like Chromie Squiggles and Bored Apes and Punks uh, end up becoming kind of the the Mona Lisa's and the, the Van Gogh's uh, like of, and the Monet's like of, of the digital world and that like a lot, most, probably 95% of these NFT projects won't actually make it through the bear market, but the ones that are really, really good will end up being big, like good buying opportunities in the bear market. Is that, do you think about it like that? Or you're more of an optimist when it comes to the bear market than I am? I think, I think uh, again, like I'm, uh, 
like I was not heavily involved in crypto through any of the like really aggressive bear markets. I've you know held Bitcoin and Ethereum for a decent amount of time, but wasn't like you know in crypto Twitter like refreshing charts all day through any of that stuff. So my opinion on what that feels like or how bad that would be now my position has changed is uh you know not as uh don't have as much experience as you in that world but the the question around the like the pieces that will stay valuable i think like there's like the art block stuff and punks i feel like a high level of conviction on for sure that that stuff just feels like true um true historical artifacts and like you've kind of reached a point of of saturation now where again i think there's just another layer to nfts which is very different than a, just an asset like a bitcoin or an ethereum where it's got this like additional support if you will where there's like this cultural and identity component to it where there's like a higher cost to somebody there's a higher social cost to somebody changing positions on a NFT collectible than there is like, you know, revolving out of a position on Coinbase or wherever else. So I think that that's really interesting. I also like the bear case for it is how big is the space really? Like how many people are actually aware of what these things are relative to the internet and the population at large? And that's the, the one way I would look at it or think about it where it's like, yeah, maybe it's not like, maybe it's not the most sure of things if there's like only a few million people that that get it and believe in it, right? Like that's still a, like still a niche. Yeah, though I think my pushback there is like, it's really hard to uh, predict total addressable markets for new technologies, right? Like if you think about the mobile phone, Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. like even just think about how we call these things it's like internet companies we used to have internet companies now we just have companies like right, we used right. to have so it's like how big was the total addressable market for internet companies well in 1994 there were only 1,000 websites right 1,000 websites in the world so mobile phones right we don't call them mobile phones they're it's just your it's your phone right everyone's got a phone everyone's got a phone now and they're all mobile phones right and so it's like how big is the the market for digital art um, I don't know. I don't think we'll call it digital art. It's just art. I agree. I agree. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like the social media. Like I think social media is a good comparison. It's like, how big is the market for like content? It's like, what do you even mean? Yeah. It's just, how could you the, even begin ev- to answer that yeah, question? What is, yeah. what is that? <laughs> what are you saying? So anyways, Jack, this was a, this is an awesome conversation, man. I'm, uh, I'm super happy to just see how successful you've been this year. And like, it's just, I think, uh, I think the internet rewards people who take big risks and who, put themselves out there. And I think you've done a good job of that and uh, inspired a lot of people with it. So I'm excited to see what you build going into next year, man. Thank you, man. Likewise. I uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the family time.